The Water Values Podcast, Session 140. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. Today we have the uh, full audio of um, a conference panel that I mediated for the uh, Bingham Greenbaum Doll Legislative Conference uh, in Indiana. And I, I'm giving you the full the full conference here because I think it's important um, to to see how legislators think about issues uh, specifically the, the panel was on utilities and infrastructure we spend a lot of time on water but also we touch on broadband we touch on uh, energy uh, issues and so I think it's good to get uh, th- that perspective on how legislators think of these things and I, I think that too often uh, we in the water industry it's it's easy to get in a silo kind of an echo chamber and not really see how you know, water infrastructure money, how it's competing with other things. And I think it's just good to, to, to get this perspective on how legislators think. I don't think the perspectives reflected here are unique to Indiana. I think they apply elsewhere. And so I think – I really think that uh, what, what, you know, the, the, what you're going to listen to today, uh, while it is – a lot of the subject matter is specific to Indiana – the the views and opinions of the legislators uh, will be generally applicable uh, outside of Indiana and other states. From what, from what you know, from what my experience uh, in Colorado and other places like that, this is you know I think we have a good panel of of quality legislators that have been there for a while that know the system, and I think this is this is going to give you some insight into how legislators think about uh, these inf- utility and infrastructure issues. So, without further ado. Let's open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to the Utilities and Infrastructure Panel here at the uh, BGD Legislative Conference. Uh, my name is Dave McGimsey. I'm a partner with Bingham and practicing in the utility and economic development and energy areas. Uh, we have a fantastic panel for you. We, we lost one who got stuck in an airport whose plane had mechanical problems, uh, but we still have a great panel with a lot of depth and breadth of knowledge in the utility and energy industries for you, and uh, it's going to be a good panel. Uh, I'll go through a little bit of protocol before we uh, jump in here. First, we're going to have self-introductions by our panel. We'll start uh, to my immediate right and proceed outward uh, with those self-introductions. And then after those are done, each of our panelists will give about a five-minute talk about what they see as important uh, energy and utility issues coming up in the session in 2019. And after those uh, brief talks are concluded, we'll have some moderated Q&A followed by audience Q&A. So you got plenty of time to get your questions ready. So let's go. Uh, Senator Merritt, I will. Thank, thank you, Dave. It's good to, good to be here. Uh, my name is Jim Merritt. I've served in the legislature for the last 28 years, and I was very fortunate back in 1991 to be assigned to the Commerce Committee, of which handled utility issues back then. And and um, for the last 28 years, I've been on committees that uh, that dealt with those, including the Utilities Committee. Uh, well, really, for the last four, uh, 12 years as chairman, and uh, I represent the northeastern part of Marion County. 
and the southeastern part of Hamilton County. And David Robert Prechtel is in the neighborhood. And uh, hello, David. And he uh, he and I go a long way back. And Bingham uh, is also very very close to my heart. So I very much appreciate being here today. And and I just won re-election, so you're gonna I'm gonna be in your in your ear for the next four years. But uh, I very much appreciate and, and, and understand the utility industry and the challenges, and uh, I, um, I'm, I'm ready to go and, and, and be innovative, and, uh, but I very much appreciate being on the panel today. Uh, I'm State Representative Ed Soliday from District 4, uh, Valparaiso. Uh, I've held the seat since uh, nine, uh, not 19, 2006. Um, have 1906. Been, 1906, yes. As my son says, did they have cars when you were a boy, Dad? <laughs> Black and white. So, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, at any rate, uh, I've served on the, the Utilities and Energy Committee, which has had a number of names over the last 12 years. Uh, really an interesting uh, place to be, and a lot of changes taking place. So, uh, we did some changes here recently. I was chairman of the House Transportation and Roads Committee, uh, one of the few places that you can raise taxes and still have people invite you to dinner. And uh, so um, we did some changes. Uh, Holly Sullivan is, is a very talented person, a uh, very bright engineer, and she was ready, so I gave up that, uh, I'll still be on the committee, I gave up that chairmanship for this one uh, just because we, we kind of want to uh, take a broader and more visionary approach as things are changing. So um, my background, as many of you in the audience know, uh, I was an executive at United Airlines, Vice President of Safety, Security, and Quality Assurance, uh, served on a lot of uh, panels and so forth in Washington and National Academy of Sciences and hopefully can bring some of those uh, decision-making processes and so forth that we used uh, there uh, here. One of the things I'm most proud of was uh, co-chair of the Commercial Aviation Safety Team, uh, which was all of the people in Washington who hate each other. And uh, we were tasked to reduce fatal accidents by 80 percent in 10 years, and we did 83. And we spent a lot of time on process. So I'm hoping that the learning experience of getting people to come together and make effective uh, things work, we can bring to the uh, utilities and energy piece. Thank you. Uh, my name is Greg Ellis. I am Vice President of Energy, Environment, Infrastructure, and Federal Affairs with the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. Um, prior to my position at the chamber. I was an administrative law judge with the Utility Commission for six years. So that is, I think, why I got asked to be part of this panel. I've also been in the private practice of law. I've practiced law for about 20 years, and part of that was I was the chair of the Council of Great Lakes Governor's Legal Committee. So with that... Great. Well, thank you. And I, now you know why we have self-introductions, because no one tells their own story like themselves. So uh, with, with that, let's get into our uh, brief talks on what they see in the 2019 session. Senator Merritt? Well, I think uh, there's, there's a lot of things to talk about, we, but there's some unknowns. And many of you probably heard Senator Bray uh, speak earlier today, maybe even just, just a few minutes ago. 
And um, I have not had a conversation with him as to uh, where water bills will be assigned. It's always uh, refreshing when a new pro tem, and this is my third pro tem in, in my years in the Senate, and uh, there's, everybody has their different leadership styles. And we, uh, many of you probably know about uh, Bob Garton, and you probably all know about Senator Long and, and uh, Senator Bray, and they're all different individuals. And, and so um, we'll follow his leadership on where the bills ought to be, uh, where the ought to be assigned. I'd love to have the bills uh, that concern water assigned to the Utilities Committee, but as many of you probably know, they've been uh, assigned to the Environmental Committee, uh, where um, Senator Charbonneau was uh, the chairman for years, and now he's at the Health Committee. So it, it, it just really all depends on, on that, on how active the committee will be on water issues. But uh, we've had we've had strong bills in the past uh, that that um, have created a little controversy, have created lots of progress in my estimation, from 340 with the energy efficiency to 560 with the T disk and and uh, and and, uh, and and as well as um, uh, 309. And so I'm not sure if any bills will be filed in response to uh, the public policy. That has been created by that those bills, uh, but uh, I'm very very proud of the energy efficiency program in this state, and uh, I don't believe it, it's necessary to go back to something like Energize Indiana, and uh, it's it's going to be an interesting session. There always is something in the in the uh, utility committee that is um, uh, worthy of policy discussion, and so I look forward to that. Well, um, there are a few things I know that are going to happen in utilities um, because I have the bills. But uh, let me – we completed the, the water task force, which is something I learned from Senator Kenley. I, I had been working on roads for a lot of years, and but we needed Senate engagement. And the senator said, let's have a task force. And I was kind of skeptical because we were going over everything I'd already done before. But it was very wise of him because we were able to now bring both houses together and come to some conclusions that led to the, the road funding bill. So we did a task force on water this summer. Some of you participated. And actually, I was pretty proud of the way people have come together throughout the industry. So we do have a funding plan. I won't uh, reveal it all to you, but it's pretty clever, and you can't have a water discussion without mentioning Jim McGough, and he has just been sterling and helping uh, myself and, and other members of the task force and, and the working group. Uh, so we have uh, really two bills, and what I've sort of – Senator Charbonneau has put so much work into this that the task force piece, if he wants to, I'm going to let him uh, – he will start that in the Senate. And that has a lot of the policy issues uh, that the task force came up with uh, will be in that. Then I will have a funding bill, uh, which we will hear in the, the utility committee, and uh, then it will be recommitted to Ways and Means. Um, it's really innovative. Uh, Jim and, and Dan Hughey put together a model, and quite frankly, we're going to leverage a very little bit of money into almost $2 billion, assuming we can get the votes to get it passed. And we've had conversations and, and uh, pretty amazing stuff. 
Uh, and our plan is to do it in, in uh, low-interest loans. Uh, we may borrow at, at market rate, but we'll lend it uh, at a lower rate, and we'll let uh, the administration figure out what that should be. And there'll be some provisions for forgiveness and so forth. Uh, I uh, received a call from the governor's office. Several of the things from the task force are being implemented uh, as we speak. I believe the regional studies, Jim, are, have been approved and are moving forward. Uh, I'll share with my view with you about regionalism because it can bring fire to the eyes. I even came up with new words instead of uh, regionalism. Uh, but I sort of look at it like first we date, then we get engaged, and if we like each other, maybe marriage is possible. But at any place, we can learn from one another. So in trying to find systems that encourage people to work together and, and utilize resources, uh, particularly for the smaller entities, uh, so that we can gain efficiencies and manage water better. Uh, our goal was to come back with a plan and a timeline and a set of priorities, and I think we're very close to that. Uh, we'll see how the uh, Senate uh, views it. I mean, we've been very collaborative so far and wherever it gets sent, but um, I think we've got some ownership out of the administration. So I'm, I gave the same speech about autonomous vehicles in this very room a year ago, and that worked out really well for me. So, <laughs> um, but I, I do think we're in a good place there. Um, I, I learned from legislative um, insight that there might be a bill uh, to kind of clean up uh, TDISC uh, from 560 because the Supreme Court sort of suggested we could do it a better way. Uh, there are a number of ideas uh, out there. Uh, I have a placeholder for it. Um, but uh, the Supreme Court, uh, when I read it as a non-lawyer, it seemed to open the door that said, you guys can do better. And, and I'll just tell you from my experience in, in business in the past, it calls for a seven-year plan. Um, very few businesses, be they utilities or anything else, can tell you exactly what they're going to do in the seventh year. And so finding ways that make that sixth and seventh year more realistic um, uh, maybe some companies can do that. Mine couldn't. When we would buy aircraft, which are the size of a factory, uh, those out-year contracts were really placeholders for manufacture that if the economy went bad, we could push them out. So I, my view for what it's worth is to try to come up with something with some flexibility. The more I'm around utilities, the more I come to the conclusion, rightly or wrongly, that one size doesn't fit all. So the other piece that seems to have had a lot of controversial discussion, that's rural broadband. I'll share with you my view. Uh, it's not a rural broadband issue. I live in a community of 30,000. My district only covers three townships, which is probably twice the size of yours. But um, a subdivision, uh, I just, I, I'm moving to a, a smaller subdivision, uh, the community of used to be's and they're garden homes, and they're surrounded by million-dollar homes, and they had dial-up, and that's within the city limits. So it's about money. It's, we have some of the same lack of data access 
in the urban centers as we have in the rural areas. And the governor uh, uh, found $100 million. Uh, in my mind, and I've shared this with others, we don't need 10 different granting entities. We really need one because everybody out there is going to be confused. And then we need to sit, set some priorities of how we're going to allocate that money. And because $100 million is, uh, if you divide by 92, that's a million dollars a county. So, uh, again, I, I think there's plenty of room for discussion, but uh, you, you might have priority. I said might have priorities like hospitals first, um, schools second, libraries third, and so forth, so that when the $100 million runs out, you had a clear path and you spent the money in that path. So... I've shared that view with people uh, above my pay grade. I'm hoping that's where we wind up. Uh, I think it will probably be dealt with in the budget and leadership areas. But uh, without getting into the debate of um, I don't like diversions. Everybody who knows me knows I hate diversions, but it's diverted. And <coughs> now I even cough when I think about it. Um, <coughs> but it's there. Um, and I support the governor, but I don't want to set expectations we can't meet that $100 million will take care of every farmer in our state. So, I think the Chamber's priorities this year are similar to what we've done in the past, um, at least in my areas, the utility areas. Uh, we're supporting some investment in infrastructure, uh, in water, and the resource development in water, uh, which was built on. We had the 2014 water study, and that showed a lot of things that I know the Finance Authority did a follow-up study and showed the need and investment in water infrastructure. So we're going to continue that push. Um, in the other areas, electric and gas, uh, we're pushing for uh, continued reliable and affordable energy. And then it, it, along with what Representative Soliday said with the broadband, we, we see the need for growth in the areas that are rural that are underserved so we support that as well and those are areas we're pushing for great well thank you very much um let, you've each touched on some of the things that i'd like to get into in this panel but uh first off let's let's hit the i think the the elephant in the room and representative soliday since you brought it up in your initial um talk let's talk about the tdisic um for those of you who are unfamiliar with this, this is a NIPSCO Industrial Group versus Northern Indiana Public Service Company. Uh, you can find the Supreme Court case at, uh, for those of you who are lawyers, 100 Northeast 3rd, 234. Essentially what this said was uh, when a utility files a plan, it needs to designate all projects it intends to perform over the next seven years up front in that initial plan. It can't essentially... Uh, identify a bucket uh, or a category of projects and then in future years designate with specificity what those projects are. So, uh, Representative Solidy, could you, could, you, could you talk about, you know, a little more and give us a little more color on what the any TDSIC bill might look like? Um, there are several options, probably more than the ones that are in my head. Uh, my good friend, Senator Merritt, at another panel told me I was a disruptor, but he said it in a positive way, so <laughs> we're still friends. Yeah, uh, of course. So let me say a few disruptive thoughts. Um, 
It's, as I said previously, it's very hard for any company to plan their capital in the sixth and seventh year. Um, things change, things wear out, so forth and so on. And that's where the real stumbling block was. So right now I see three options that are possible. One is you change it to a five-year. But there are co some companies that are saying, hey, we can do a seven-year and we can comply with what the Supreme Court said. Okay. So option one, just change it to a five-year. Option two says the minimum time is five years, but you pick your poison. Because if you know anything about T-Disc, uh, they get 80% of their money, but they have to have a rate case to get the final 20. So if you feel you can do a nine-year plan, do a nine-year plan, but you're going to have to true up to get your money, and that Supreme Court decision is still out there. So that's option two, a variable. And then the third variable, that's an unformed thought, I'm waiting for an epiphany, and that is, uh, that is what INDOT does. INDOT does a rolling seven. So every year they say, here's what I'm doing in the seventh year, and the previous seventh becomes the sixth, and so forth. The issue is, if you did a rolling seven, that is a much, um, much more accurate picture of what you're going to do for people to see, much more transparent. But when you lay the pieces in that INDOT doesn't have to live with, the true up for the 20 percent, the uh, rate case, and so forth, how those pieces would fit together, um, <clears throat> while I think it's a much better system, it's being used where there is not a regulatory uh, environment that with the accountability structures that they're there. So those are three options. There are many more. Uh, I was uh, talking to folks individually to get ideas, and then, like I say, legislative insights seem to be prescient and just announce that there was going to be legislation. So now I just put it in front of the whole world that, yes, we're thinking about it, but if we can't come to something that um, we can all feel equally unhappy or happy about, then we probably will not move it that fast. Senator, is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. I also, uh, we all know infrastructure is just very, very important. Uh, I'm hopeful that we're able to um, answer the bell on the Supreme Court decision, and and I think your, I think your suggestions, your, your ideas, your examples are good ones, and, and uh, We'll, that's what the legislative process is about. We'll, uh, I'm, I, since you have a placeholder, it'll probably start in the House of Representatives, and, and uh, we'll watch and clap or boo or something. But uh, we'll wait and, and, and go over what, uh, what, you, what comes. Um, and I would happily send it over to the Senate and let you start it if you like. <laughs> my, my, we work pretty well together. We do. Yeah. Greg, it looks like you wanted to jump in. What? I, I would just add to that. I think I, I'm not speaking for our members on this. This is just a response to what Representative Soliday said. Uh, the rolling time for period seemed to make sense because right now the utilities are required to do a three-year IRP every three years. So they update their plans for that every three years, and I think that would be probably the most uh, I don't know, economical for everybody involved. Uh, the other thing I would say is coming from the utility background, uh, you hear this word tracker, and everybody thinks it's a bad word, it's a bad thing. And, and I'm, I'm of another thought. I think trackers 
have a purpose. Um, it allows the utilities to recover upfront certain fees without going through a full rate case. And that's what the TDSIC is. But if if they don't recover those fees, they carry that debt and any associated interest or, or charges that go with that until the full rate case. So one way or another, they get their money, but the rate payers end up paying more if they have to carry the cost and not recover it through a tracker. Right. Greg, can I pose another question to you, too, about the the, the disk for water? Because the T-disk is really uh, electric and gas, and so can you... Do you have any thoughts on how the Supreme Court decision might uh, have any effect on the water disc statute? Sure. Um, I mean, I looked at the statute last night, which, for those of you that are interested, the water statute, the D6 statute is 8-1-31. Um, it doesn't require a plan. It has certain requirements that if the, the utility meets that and they go before the IORC, they can get reimbursement of those costs as they go along. Uh, so it is different from the TDSIC. So I don't really see that statute or that decision impacting that statute. Thank you. Uh, Representative Saleh, let's come back to you again. Since you chaired the Water Infrastructure Task Force, and you've kind of given us uh, a high-level look at what the session might look like in terms of uh, water bills, I, th I think it would help to give some context for what the final report of the Water Infrastructure Task Force actually looked like. Sure. Uh, um, what we tried to do was, first of all, we didn't deal with surface water, and I think there's a recommendation that the panel continue uh, to deal with those surface water issues. Um, <clears throat> first, um, we recommended that the governor appoint a um, champion, if you will, uh, uh, cabinet-level person who would be the advocate for water. Uh, we have so many entities, at least four, and I could argue six, uh, entities in government to deal with water. And I don't know that we want to create a water department, but I always think of it as an agency of agencies. But it needs a champion, somebody who says, uh, let's get focused. Here's what needs to be done first. Here are the priorities. Here's where what we should do. Um, and, and Jim kind of fills some of that role right now, but he really deals with the technical and the funding and those kinds of things. But there, there are multiple issues out there, everything from septic systems that IDEM deals with to, to uh, separation of, of storm and, and uh, uh, wastewater. And what should get the emphasis and so forth. So I did not, I don't like the idea of the legislature telling the governor who to hire. Uh, statutorily, so we recommended that he create the position. And I've spoken with the administration, and contrary to popular belief in one newspaper, uh, we actually get along pretty well. And they are looking at um, uh, that concept. Now, being true to our party, we don't like to create a lot of government and a lot of cabinet level, but the water issue uh, for all of us, after we saw what happened in Flint, which was something that could have been managed with a, a good plan, um, and our own experience in East Chicago, we want to be sure we've got a plan, not that we will predict everything that will happen, but that we'll have a plan. So we talked about stormwater, uh, but when we really got down to it all, 
Uh, we made a few recommendations to the administration on regional on regionalism that that they complete the studies that they began, I believe, in the southwest corner. Jim, if that's not correct. But one of the things that is missing in being able to come up with a good plan that we had on the roadside, <clears throat> we actually didn't when we started, but we drove with good data. Uh, I keep hearing that there's plenty of it out there, but some of the companies are so small that they don't even have full-time people. And so being able to get data from them um, in a positive way, um, you can order people to do things, and then they spend a lot of time figuring out how not to do what you ordered them to do. So tr trying to find incentives and so forth that would get people to share data with us. Um, we said in the, in the task force that if we lent money, um, even with forgiveness, one, you had to have an asset management plan period. You're not going to, and that'll be in the statute. Got to have, number two, you have to have skin in the game. You have to have some local money uh, to participate. And then we have some things that we're recommending that, that the funding authority does. And that is um, uh, things like if you were a water um, supplier, that you will do leakage studies. Now, you don't have to do one every year, but we need something that tells us how much water you're actually losing and, and so forth. So we dealt with those, those kinds of issues, the reports online, but uh, basically it was a roll-up of everything that Senator Charbonneau has been having hearings on and Jim Merritt was having hearings on before him. And what we tried to do was roll all that together, put it in something that looked like here are the priorities we need to deal with right away. Dave, uh, I, I'm, I'm really pleased that we're, we are where we are. Um, Thanks to Chairman Salday, uh, Chairman Charbonneau, and, and, uh, and, and it wasn't too long ago where we didn't know where the water was, we didn't know how much we had, uh, lots of questions about local government being able to afford uh, and, and what kind of shape they were actually in. And I'm really, really glad that we've got a spotlight on it. And um, I wrote a white paper, oh, five, six, seven, I don't know how many years ago, that talked about uh, the, the, the necessity of Indiana, of the state of Indiana, to uh, be front and center on this issue. And, and um, it's evolved through Charbonneau and, and Salde, and I couldn't be more pleased. And if anybody reads The Big Thirst by Charles Fishman knows that um, this is what every state's going through. And, and we're doing it Indiana way of, of gathering information, getting the data, and just like about any other pro problem or program, is um, mastering data and knowing where the problems are, knowing where the strengths are. And uh, I, we're not all the way, but uh, this last task force uh, put a lot of information on the table, and we're still working on it. And it's, it's really great to watch from afar <laughs> because you can see everybody's putting their very best foot forward. I might add one other thing that uh, the way I see the bill, we'll see what happens in the Senate and we'll see what happens in committee. Uh, but one of the mandates I was given from above, a, a guy much taller than me and with less hair, was that if we lent money, the project life had to exceed the length of the loan. So how we'll exactly word that and how Jim will administer it should be fun, but uh, that's 
there are pretty strong feelings that came out of the road work where we are still paying for roads uh, that we have now resurfaced for the third and fourth time. So what will get you, uh, it'll either be an absolute or it'll be a, a how many points you get toward your priority for your project. Uh, and I'm thinking it will be a mandate that says you can't borrow the money unless the project exceeds the life of the loan. So it's a forecast for those of you who have your loan applications ready. <clears throat> Greg, can I ask you to, to respond in terms of, uh, you know, for a little more context, water, I think, is becoming more and more important in the economic development and the business community. You know, manufacturers are going to look for areas that have stable and reliable water sources of water. Uh, does the can you speak to that a little bit from the business community's perspective? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, when people contact the Indiana Chamber of Commerce and they're looking, they're looking at utility rates, but they ask about the availability of water, the cost of water. Um, in it's either part of their process or just it's important, you know, to. to live in the area. So, I mean, it's, it's a key factor, and when they locate here, it's one of the things they look at. So, um, for economic growth in areas where it's underdeveloped, it's important as well. So, it's, it's something that we've pushed for. And I think, to add to what um, our legislators said here, is it's, it's a national issue, but I think we lead the way in, in what we're, is being done. I mean, I'm thankful that we're not in a position like California or, you know, what happened in Michigan with Flint. So, I think we're Okay. Thank you. Uh, David, if you drive up 69, our new highway, uh, there's not a whole lot of development along there. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's totally because of water, but uh, it's, it's, it, it's, it's an asset. It's a factor. And just to back up what Greg said, it, when there's water, there's development. And uh, it's, a, it's a linchpin. It's a catalyst. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and so if I can refocus on the Water Infrastructure Task Force. I've heard both water supply issues as well as kind of this regionalism concept. I'd like to get regionalism a little later, but are, are we deficient or, or, or is our infrastructure, um, is it more development of the water sources or is it repair and rehabilitation and replacement of existing lines? Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Again, the one of the things we've we talked about. Everybody talks about lead and copper, and I happened to go to a seminar. Some friends of mine invited me to, and a Purdue guy spoke. He's the pipe guy, and he went through all the things that are wrong with every kind of pipe. And in the morning, my <clears throat> wife said, "You smell like alcohol," and I said, "Yeah." After I went to that thing, I'm brushing my teeth with bourbon. None of the water is safe. <laughs> so. <clears throat> <laughs> I worked on that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, we have real issues in our urban areas and in other areas. Some of our, our smaller companies, uh, some of our smaller cities like Indianapolis, we have water coming up through the, through the sidewalks and so forth. And I know that's not part of the new fountain plan. So um, the town I live in, we wound up with a supply pipe that was made of wood. Been there for 100-plus years. So identifying where those are, uh, reducing the risk to our kids from lead, copper, and other things is, is high on the priority list. One of the things that came up in the task force, and I think folks like Jim who've been at it a long time knew, 
I wasn't as familiar with. Up where I live, about 80% of the water is used by industry. And moving water is extremely expensive, so IEDC always wants more water in, in southern Indiana. It's almost the exact opposite in southern Indiana until you get to the Ohio River. So <clears throat> water availability, one has to define what one means by it. If you want to move a major steel plant or something to uh, south-central Indiana, unless you want to haul an iceberg down there and let it melt, we're probably not going to happen. So directing business to where water is, as opposed to trying to transport water long distances to, to economically develop areas that just are not ready. Our, our, my town I live in has the uh, largest paper recycling, uh, uh, cardboard recycling plant in the world. We got that plant because we had the water. Northern Indiana is pretty blessed with water, but the other two competing cities just flat didn't have it. So addressing our economic development plan to where water is and then understanding it better, I think next year, assuming we get to extend the task force, the big aquifers, there we had testimony from people who talked about uh, P3 possibilities uh, down in an aquifer by Louisville. Well, again, P3s are to make money, and you've got to have customers, and who are those customers? So thinking through that from an economic development standpoint and what is possible, uh, we kind of kicked the can down the road for a year on that particular issue. Dave, I, one thing I'd add, I think the reason the chamber, I get, you know, questions often, why is the chamber interested in water? That's more of an environmental issue. And it's like, no, it's it's, it's an issue that affects everybody. Um, like I said, we had the study in 2014, and what it showed was there were hundreds of million dollars that needed to be invested to extend service or to just maintain service. And, uh, you know, as it is now, that's paid for by ratepayers, and that's, you know, the workers, the citizens, um, the business owners, and with that amount of money, it's pretty prohibitive, and we become an unattractive state as far as investment if it gets too high, and that's why we have been involved. Got it. Now, uh, we've talked about regionalism. That, to me, it means collaboration. What, what types of incentives uh, do you see in terms of coming into this uh, legislative session that are going to be uh, involved in, in bills to promote that collaboration? Um, what I think you're going to see is part of the getting points. Uh, we, we're back and forth whether this is going to be an absolute uh, is going to be that you have a collaborative relationship. Now, how do we measure that? Where people get very nervous. Uh, one colleague said, I will, my constituents will never be in anything with Fort Wayne. They beat us in the 1968 sectional, and I'm never forgetting it. So we've got these little cultural issues to work around, but trying to get folks to encourage them uh, you get more points if you want a loan if you're in a collaborative relationship where you're sharing resources and knowledge um, is sort of where our thinking was. Now, we can make things stronger, but what I've found, as I mentioned before, when you try to force people to come to the party, even if you're giving away free stuff, it, it's far better to encourage them to try to force them. They'll... they'll push back. So, so again, and there, then there are smaller places 
uh, where there's nobody to collaborate with. They might be able to get consulting services out of some of the bigger companies. Uh, but so at what level does collaboration, what does collaboration look like and what do we give uh, points in heaven for? You know, uh, Dave, I think regional government, not, not exactly regional government, but regional efforts are becoming more and more familiar to Indiana. We know the RDA up in northwest Indiana uh, is uh, functioning and doing well. Uh, I'll have a bill this year that has um, uh, central Indiana uh, and Indianapolis and the Donut Counties as uh, uh, starting a new R RDA. Um, right now it's like two or three uh, counties along with Marion County. But um, when you've seen the regional cities, you've seen stellar, you've seen all different types of efforts where people are, um, are working together, be it water or economic development or roads or any type of infrastructure. Uh, I think it's, on, it's here, and, and we see how it's been working. And uh, I'm hopeful that we'll have a major discussion about this here in the session. And, and to build on what Jim said, um, I've been involved with the RDA since the very early days in northwest Indiana, and it has evolved. But one of the things that I think came out of the task force is one size does not fit all. Uh, if you look at the RDA we did down in Jasper, those folks, that is a, that is a, that is not government money. They raised like three million dollars in two weeks of private capital to fund their RDA, whose primary project was to build a road. So, so, I'm nervous at this stage of my knowledge of saying here's what regionalism looks like for every region in the state. And so I think we've got good leadership over uh, at IFA. Uh, we've got a lot of folks coming to the table, working together. So for some folks, it may be merger. But seeing what can be done for uh, a more reasonable rate than they're paying or that they have real issues that they're bigger than their company. If you're a, a company with less than 10,000 folks, you probably you can't raise rates high enough to deal with modernization. So again, I, I, I'm not hedging, I'm not being political. I just don't believe one size fits all. And to Jim's point, uh, his RDA may look a lot different than the one in Northwest Indiana. But do you think the RDA in Northwest Indiana is working? It, it is, it is, but we, as you know, Jim, we rewrote it a few years ago because yeah. it was evolving and it started to go a track we weren't happy with and we had to bring it back. So unless you leave room for people to try new things, uh, just assuming that you have a monopoly on truth usually leads to failure. Well, you're absolutely right. You got to you got to take that first step, and if you, the first step needs a little adjusting, then you come back and adjust it later. Uh, Senator Merritt, I know that broadband is an issue that you're involved with. I'd like to get your thoughts on broadband in the 2019 session. Well, kudos to uh, former Lieutenant Governor Sue Elsperman. You know, she started her meetings of oh, so many years ago of of putting people together and putting ideas out there, and it's just grown and grown and grown some more and. And uh, I, I, was, I was pleased the, the governor recognizes the importance of broadband in every community, rural and urban. Uh, and we want to keep that momentum going. Uh, I think uh, Representative Soliday is, is correct when we think about um, uh, grant buckets, if you will. And, and uh, I'm hopeful when we wrote the bill last time that we 
we, we nestled that in the lieutenant governor's office where where if we did have some money, uh, that we, we would place it in that bucket and then grant it out to, to applications. Uh, I, I think broadband will be a part of the utility committees uh, for the next five, six, ten uh, sessions of the legislature because it is, it is constant and it's not going to be anything overnight. Uh, like a lot of things in Indiana, it's going to be an incremental change and improvement. But um, uh, I, I felt like when, when um, uh, we announced that 5G was going to be um, a major project for Verizon, was going to be a major project for AT&T, and uh, the FCC in Washington uh, was very interested in what we do in Indiana. I think we, we have a great start, and, and that's, that's, that's a tribute to a lot of people, including the governor and Senator Hirschman and Senator Cook and, and Representative Saldae and a lot of different people um, have put their uh, – Senator Mesmer. I mean, there are a lot of people that really put the effort in for broadband, and, and, and uh, there have been some bumps on the way. We know that. Um, it's like you just said. You go back and fix what, what you, you didn't anticipate. Uh, but I, I, can, I, can, um, I can't guess exactly what's going to happen during this session with broadband, but it will be a top of mind and a much-discussed uh, topic. And as I mentioned before, uh, my opinion, which I have advocated in a number of circles, we don't need 10 different buckets. Uh, 1065 is not a perfect bill, but we did get agreement. And it's a good foundation. And I've shared with people in the industry, uh, opening that up wide open is sort of like World War I, where we take one guy, one side takes a trench, and then the other side comes back and takes a trench. So we've got a good framework there. Uh, I'm advocating pretty strongly that, that the new money be put into that same Lieutenant Governor's Okra bucket and, and that the systems that were agreed to there. Now, whether that should be uh, 10 megabytes or 20 meg of 25 megabytes, speaking for me, I do not like to see government money in direct competition with private enterprise. But there's plenty of opportunities, and I've, I've spoken to the individuals. They know where I stand about it. That doesn't mean much, but at least it's what you see is what you get. Um, if, if a cable company, um, large or small, is paying 25 or excuse me, 70, uh, 17 or $20 for, to rent each pole to run their cable on it, and they have the cable already there, the fiber there, and the node there, and the REMC owns the easements, then make a deal. If everybody makes money, we all win. One of the frustrating things in my 12 years on the Utilities Committee, be it electric or water or, or um, broadband, is we get into what I call litigation mode, and it's a win-lose. And I was trained uh, to get win-wins, um, where we're all equally unhappy or happy, whatever the case may be, but we all walk away that we don't come out, out feeling like we were a loser. Uh, so, so I think if we, uh, if we can build on what we've got, 1065, we can come in with an attitude where we want to get the, the goal is get broadband to the rural person. And if we can do it together and everybody makes money, 
then I think we ought to be happy with it. Greg, any thoughts from the, from uh, your perspective on broadband? I was having flashbacks to last year's committee he hearings on small cell tower <laughs> technology. Um, but no, I, th I, <laughs> yeah, I think we've made some progress, and, and they've already mentioned that in I mean, what the REMCs have done uh, in the cellular companies. But, I mean, it's, it's such a, a big issue. Uh, I know that we had one of our companies that lived in a rural area that they actually spent millions of dollars to run Internet out to their business so they could conduct business, and then they also gave that to the school, which was a good thing. But, you know, we don't feel like the businesses should have to do that on their own when there are other avenues to do that. So, I mean, it's clearly something that we still need to continue to work on. And one of the things I struggle with in my community, some of the businesses like the one you mentioned, the folks who, who are salespeople, third-party salespeople, convince businesses and others that they need 50 gigabytes a second, for which there are a few servers that can handle. A friend, a good friend of mine spent $80,000 to put fiber to his plant so because he was convinced by a salesman that he needed 40 gig a second. He's using probably 40, 400 meg. So he paid a lot of money. Uh, so somehow we've got to figure out how to manage truth in advertising with what the real need is. All right, you've had about 45 or 50 minutes to come up with your own questions. Do we have any audience questions? Bashful group. Um, Esmerized them. <laughs> so I, I think we've, we've delved into this regionalism concept. Let's go back to, to water. Um, and why, why exactly, or what were the findings of the Water Infrastructure Task Force as to why regionalism is a good thing? Well, I think there are a number of things. I don't know if it's a good thing. It's, it's maybe the only thing. Uh, we have companies out there, small companies, lots of them, that in just dealing with their issues, whether it's separation of stormwater and wastewater, or particularly uh, safe delivery systems that they don't, if they raised rates as high as the market would bear, they still couldn't get the job done. So they're going to, to, to keep rates reasonable, they're going to have to work together. Either, either that or if they, if they come to standards that are reasonable, the rates are going to be so high, business isn't going to want to move there, and the rate payers are going to push back. So part of our goal was controlling rate structure, and one of the ways you do that is encourage cooperation to gain maximum efficiency. All right, and are, is P3 going to play a role in any of the funding mechanisms? You know, we, we all hear there's a lot of private capital sitting on the sidelines waiting to get into this water game. We took testimony from P3 folks from Washington. They happen to be friends of mine. Uh, there are some P3 projects going on right now. The big argument against P3, there are a number, uh, but generally the argument was it's not scalable because some of these projects are less than $100 million, and in conventional P3, the legal fees, not to pick on our host, <laughs> the legal fees and the banking fees are so big that the P3 is just not. But we're becoming more and more efficient in P3s, and so it is clearly a tool I don't know that we're planning to incentivize that, but uh, we had a lot of talk about a P3 down in the aquifer in, you know, by Louisville, um, and there are efficiencies in P3s. 
So it's, it's on the table, but I don't see us incentivizing, at least not, no one's asked us to incentivize it. They're saying, we're here, and we can make it work. Right. Senator Mayor, you mentioned data, and I know you've been around this. So could you tell us uh, a little about what, where the data has come from in terms of how, how we've been able to accumulate it and uh, what the data is telling us? Well, I'm, I'm probably not the uh, one to ask that question. Jim, uh, Jim <laughs> is, at the IFA uh, is probably the one to ask. But just like any other, just like any other um, project or program, the data has told us where the water is, what is necessary, and 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 where the store points are, where the where the um, rehabilitation needs to go, where new go, needs to go, uh, just all the particulars on on um, what you want a quality water system to look like in, in 92 counties, in, in rural and urban. Uh, I haven't really had the opportunity to look at too much of the data, but, but I know that we've um, hit on a gold mine of information, and it's going to do nothing but great things. To, it's helped the commission. It's going to help the legislature. It's going to help the administration put the policy together. Um, we talk about economic development. As I understand it, the, the, the um, uh, Hershey's up in, up, up in um, Anderson area uh, moved there because of the water issue. It, it, they had plenty of water. And so uh, it, it's uh, in many communities have uh, put it in fifth gear. Uh, to to get um, to make sure that they have water, or if not, get a, um, a you know tap into some. So it's uh, I think the importance of water and, and, and where it is and and uh, how it can be delivered has really probably taken the place, as Representative Soliday said, taken the place of of roads. And, uh, and and we did our homework on that, and I think we have a solid plan for the future. And I think we'll have a solid plan because of the data, because of what, what we know our needs are. One of the things that uh, I noticed that gave me some distress, um, IFA did a, a survey of schools and offered free testing. And only 50% responded. Now, this is a, half, is a cup half full or half empty. But interestingly, one of the school systems that didn't respond when it opened school this year found lead in the water fountains and didn't let the kids drink out of those water fountains. So how you, um, that's key data. If, if I were to set a priority system, and, and we've sort of said by the, in the task force, the, the, the administration should come up with the priorities, and, and Jim's doing a good job of that, and he, he doesn't have a whole lot he has to do to finish it. But you'd probably say the first thing I want fixed is kids that are exposed to lead at a level that can affect their development. Now, lead exposure probably fits a bell curve. There's some way out here. If you just go, I'm going to stop lead, well, then you've got to get copper and everything else. But out here, we could probably drink the water for the next 100 years, and it wouldn't affect us. Here, probably the time frame is shorter. So how do we prioritize that? And... But you can't really prioritize if people don't take it seriously enough to send in the data. So for schools, uh, and this is me talking, not Jim, I think we ought to be up around 98% so we can set right priorities and, and do right allocation of, of revenue. 
Right. We've, we've talked about water supply a lot. Uh, there's an issue up in northeastern Indiana, and I, I know our panelists are not um, – are not experts on this. I know because in our pre-panel discussions, uh, they're aware of this issue. But the Mission Doe Aquifer and the Ohio uh, mayor uh, in Pioneer, Ohio, that is wanting to sink wells and start pumping that water to sell to Toledo and its suburbs will affect northeast Indiana water supply. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Well, aquifers are extremely complex topics. And that's why we kicked the can down the road to next summer. Now, quite frankly, when an Ohio mayor decides to drain water out of an aquifer, part of which is in Indiana, it seems to be a federal issue to me or a court issue. <laughs> so we can pontificate, but the issue is probably the person who understands it's the best is Senator Glick, but it is hugely complex and similar issues with other aquifers. Uh, we have one that's in our state. The mayor of a town on that aquifer thinks he owns it. And, and why, why spoil his dream until we really need the water? <laughs> I, th I think that goes to my predecessor's comment that he always said, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting, and I think you know that kind of d illustrates that. I know that there's been a couple Supreme Court cases Probably the most recent one was Georgia and Florida. They were fighting over uh, water, and it was it was it was surface water, but it was for recreation, and it was their drinking water source as well. So I mean, this goes hand in hand. Um, I was at a meeting today with the Ports of Indiana and the Great Lakes, and they talked about one of the locks that is in need of repair. I think it was built in the '60s. They haven't done anything with it, and they said if it went down, it would um, really restrict shipping. And I think the uh, the estimate of unemployment increase in Indiana was 22% statewide, and then they, they, there was a national impact in the, you know, billions of dollars. So, I mean, it's not just the drinking water um, that we're, we're dealing with, <laughs> although I know the task force did. Uh, and, and I think those, when, when we get into those issues, to try to cover those in four or five summer meetings yeah. is just monumental. I mean, we crammed a lot of testimony into four days, as you recall. And we could probably do four days on shipping water and four days on aquifers, and we may do that. But um, I guess I and Senator Glick said our priorities are drinking water and wastewater for the first right. go. It needs to be addressed, and that's what we did. Yeah. Greg, you must have spent time in Colorado with the whiskeys for drinking waters for No, no, that's Vince reference. Griffin saying. <laughs> uh, I guess whiskeys for toothbrushing, too. So um, if we have any additional questions from the audience, anything? With that, we're almost at time, so I will uh, say thank you very much to our panel. Please join me by giving them a hand. Well, I hope you enjoyed that panel from the BGD Legislative Conference, uh, BGD LegCon 2018. Uh, terrific panelists. We want to very much thank Senator, uh, Senator Merritt, uh, Representative Soliday, and Greg Ellis of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce for uh, their, their participation in that panel. Um, you can check out the show notes on the panel at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 140. You can leave a comment on those show notes. You can email me at David at the Water Values. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993 and tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values. 
And please do me a favor. Please rate and review the podcast on on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or TuneIn or whatever podcast directory you use. And I forgot to say at the top of the show, thank you very much for the additional five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Greatly appreciated. Uh, if you want to support the podcast in the new year, um, you can go to the website, which is thewatervalues.com. Scroll down a little bit. There's a little yellow PayPal button. Any denomination helps defray the costs of putting the podcast on. So thank you so much for any donations and your generosity in doing so. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to The Disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.